you know, we need to pay attention because we never know when temptation is going to be there. How are we going to respond? Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembry. I'm Jess. And this is Bible Discovery as we study Proverbs chapter 5 today in five minutes time. We're going to look at temptation and all of that. It's going to be fascinating as we study that. Corey and Ryan are coming up in 20 minutes. Corey. I'm taking a look at Proverbs chapter 6 and birds and ants specifically. Ryan? Well, today I'm looking at the life of the man who penned the Proverbs, the son of David, King Solomon. Birds and ants and the son of David, King Solomon. That, this is a fascinating program, I'll tell you, Janice. What are you doing? One word. Run! <laughs> we have a lot going on in the program, so they're coming up in 20 minutes. Janice and 25, make sure you make plans to be with us for the next few minutes. Let's take our Bible guide and turn to today's passage as we look at Proverbs chapter 5. Proverbs 5, 1-14 My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Lend your ear to my understanding, that you may preserve discretion, and your lips may keep knowledge. For the lips of an immoral woman drip honey, and her mouth is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, her steps lay hold of hell. Lest you ponder her path of life, her ways are unstable, you do not know them. Therefore hear me now, my children, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Remove your way far from her, and do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your honor to others and your years to the cruel one. Lest aliens be filled with your wealth, and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. And you mourn at last, when your flesh and your body are consumed, and say, How I have hated instruction, and my heart despised correction. I have not obeyed the voice of my teachers, nor inclined my ear to those who instructed me. I was on the verge of total ruin in the midst of the assembly and congregation. Proverbs chapter 5, verses 1 through 14. Proverbs chapter 5, 6, 7, and 8. These are great proverbs of wisdom, great chapters of wisdom. You know, God created good things for us to experience in our lives. And many of these things bring us joy and they bring us pleasure. However, keep this in mind, we were never meant to spend our lives pursuing pleasure. We were never meant to spend our lives pursuing pleasure. Pleasure is not our purpose. There's a difference between pleasure and purpose. Unfortunately, we all know that pleasure can become a snare for our souls. The pursuit of unbridled pleasure has brought many a person to a ruined life. Proverbs chapter 5 explains what happens when we seek pleasure at all cost. We will be sucked into destruction and it will damage others around us. This is a warning to all who are tempted. 
we need to take these warnings to heart. God's calling on our life should be what guides us and directs us. If you are a Christian, then your calling is to follow Christ with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul and strength. My son, pay attention to my wisdoms. Lend your ears to understanding. Proverbs chapter 5, verse 1. This is really important because everybody talks about the American dream. Everybody talks about the Canadian way. Everybody talks about this, but we don't need to pursue pleasure. We need to find our purpose. Why were we created? How come we're doing these things? How come we have tendencies or abilities in certain areas? Because God has called us, beloved. And that calling is the most important thing. And Jesus Christ fulfilled all. And he tells us that we need to follow him. Now, if you don't have a Bible guide, I would suggest that you call us or write to us. Ask for your Bible guide. Now, the other way you can get one really quickly is go to Bible Discovery TV. One word, BibleDiscoveryTV.com. And when you go there, click on the Bible guide page and it will take you to a donate page. I want to say thank you to all our wonderful partners who have donated. That keeps us strong, keeps us here. Uh, we don't have, you know, financial means in this way or that. We just, it's just the offerings of God. That's how we live. So thank you for that. But then it takes you to a page where you can download it just as it's printed. So you're seconds away from joining us. Very, very important. Today, we talk about temptation. From Proverbs chapter 5, 1 to 14, Father, help us. Spirit of God, we need you. Now, we need to read the word and allow it to change us. Help us not to read our ideas into it. And there's a difference, you know, how we read the word, Lord, is very important for our spirits. We need to read it correctly because we can misinterpret it if we re read it wrong. We don't want to misinterpret it. We want to read it correctly with an open heart. So help us, Lord, today in the name of Jesus Christ. And we said together, amen. Now, as we focus on this, this becomes very important. We see this first verse and it says this, my son, pay attention to my wisdom. Be attentive to my wisdom. Lend your ear to my understanding that you may preserve discretion, that your lips may keep knowledge for the lips of an immoral woman. Drip honey. And her mouth is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is a bitter one, bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Very important. We should pay attention. We need to recognize when temptation looms. Run from temptation. Don't slowly slink away. Most people do this. When temptation comes, they sort of say, oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm still there, temptation. I'm still there. That's not how we're supposed to do it. You know what we're supposed to do? Run away. Get out of there. When temptation comes, run. Now, this is the Bible talking to us, and we need to pay attention to it. Because it tells us the truth. And beloved, we need to hear that. Just get away from temptation. This world is just full of cultures of temptation. And we need to get away from it as Christians, as people who believe in Christ. We've given our lives. And this is what it says. It says a, a woman who does not care, who's just trying to trap you in and temptation that way. We need to stay away from that on the internet. We need to stay away from that on the magazine rack. We need to stay away from that 
on television. We need to stay away from that. Very important. Well, let's read on because Proverbs chapter five, five and six is very interesting. It says this, her feet go down to death. Her steps lay hold of hell. Lest you ponder her path of life. Her ways are unstable. You do not know them. God's warnings are always right. God's warnings in the Bible are always right. When warned about temptation, we should respond fast and right. We need to be fast about this, quick about it. We don't need to slinger around and hope that we get taken over by temptation. That's a problem. Beloved, we need to get out of there. Now, let me just say this. I'm going to say this. Marriage is important and sexual immorality outside of marriage is a problem. God created man and woman to love each other, make a commitment together, then come into sexual experience and stay in that, in their commitment. That's what I say. That's the bottom line. That's what the Bible says, man and wife. That's the way it is. So everything else can be fixed if we did that. Very important, I'll tell you. Wow. All right, let's go to Proverbs chapter 5, verse 7 to 14. Therefore, hear me now, my children, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Remove your way far from her and do not go near the door of her house. Don't go near it. Lest you give your honor to others and your years to the cruel one. Lest strangers be filled with your wealth and your laborers go to the house of the foreigner. And you mourn at last when your flesh and your body are consumed and say, how I hated instruction and my heart despised correction. I have not obeyed the voice of my teachers, nor inclined my ear to those who instructed me. I was on the verge of total ruin in the midst of the assembly and congregation. Wow. Broken covenants. Broken covenants end in embarrassment. Broken covenants end in embarrassment. We will never be able to truly recover from sin unless we confess but turn away from the sin as well, not just confess. You know, I often say on this program, uh, it's good if we come to Jesus Christ and repent. Nobody seems to know what the word repent means anymore. We seem to be redefining words in the last two years. Words have been three years, we've just totally redefined. But if you look up repent, you understand what it means. It means, number one, feel bad and sorry for the sin. Number two, turn away from it. Change your attitude towards sin. Many people feel bad about the sin, but they don't turn away from it. Repenting means turn away from your sin. Make a decision. All you have to do is make the decision. God's Holy Spirit will help you. He'll help you follow. And it takes time, but he'll help you follow, beloved. This is so important. So that's what repent means. Some people are afraid to repent because they feel they can't do it. Of course, I can't do it. You can't do it. But the Holy Spirit comes into our heart and he helps us to be able to do it. It's the Holy Spirit who changes us. It's not man. It's not us. But it's the Holy Spirit, beloved. God's Holy Spirit works in us. So come to Jesus and repent. Turn around because that's important. Father, help us today to finish the work of repentance and turn away from sin in Jesus' name. And we said together, make it so. 
But a lie is when somebody tells you, I know how you'll be happy. You buy this hairspray and you're going to be happy. You smell like this flower, you're going to be happy. You take this drug, you're going to be happy. You buy this car, you're going to be happy. See, it all tells me I'm going to be happy. No, I'm not. That's not how this works. The truth is that I am not happy until I find the purpose of why I exist. My purpose for living. So at the beginning of the program, I promised birds and ants and Proverbs chapter six. And that's because in Proverbs chapter six, verse five, the, uh, the author is encouraging us to be diligent like a bird trying to free itself from the snare of a fowler. So first, we're gonna take a look at that. We're gonna take a look at how birds were hunted in the ancient Middle East. Birds were both a source of food and sacrifice in ancient Israel. Leviticus 11 and Deuteronomy 13 preserve for us the list of fowl that were ritually impure and therefore not to be eaten or offered to God as sacrifice by the Israelites. As a general rule, birds of prey like eagles and falcons and carrion birds like vultures and ravens were ritually unclean. On the other hand, birds like pigeon, dove, and quail were acceptable as inexpensive sacrificial animals and fine to eat. Based on archeological work in comparison with other contemporary cultures, we can be quite confident that ancient Israelites, where available, also ate partridge, geese, duck, chicken, and ostrich, as well as various bird eggs. Hunting wild birds is spoken of quite often in the Bible, likely due to the fact that it was a very common practice and that it provided useful imagery to the authors and poets of the Bible. Amos 3 verse 5 references the practice of trapping birds with a net filled with bait and laid on the ground, and Hosea 7 talks specifically about the use of nets in bird hunting. These descriptions are given visuals thanks to Egyptian tomb reliefs and paintings showing various forms and stages in fowling. Nets and traps, the use of blinds to shield hunters, and the aftermath of birds in cages and baskets are all depicted. Famously, a golden fan found in the tomb of Pharaoh Tutankhamun is decorated with an ostrich hunting scene. The pharaoh on his chariot is shown hunting ostrich with his bow and arrows with the help of a dog. Similar methods of hunting are spoken of throughout ancient Mesopotamia, though not depicted quite as vividly as in the remains from ancient Egypt. People also kept and domesticated several kinds of birds. In Israel, this not only made birds more accessible for meat and eggs, but ensured that birds used in sacrifice to God, like doves, would be unblemished, undamaged by the act of capture. The many columbaria found throughout Israel testifies to the doves' domestication. It's also believed that by at least the latter half of the time of the kings of Israel and Judah, domesticated chickens were kept in the land. The history of chicken domestication is a complicated one, but their presence in Israel is known thanks to chicken bones found at Israelite sites. There's also a signet seal that was found at Tel Nazbah that reads, belonging to Jazaniah, servant of the king, above an image of a rooster in a fighting stance. It's possible that this Jazaniah may be the officer mentioned in 2 Kings 25-23. Interestingly, the Bible also mentions the importing and keeping of exotic animals by rich King Solomon, which may have included exotic birds. 
It's also said that fattened birds were served at Solomon's dining table, meaning specially fed, domesticated birds. How cool are those images from Egypt? You know, these tomb paintings really showing how ancient fowling was done, how hunting birds was done. Now, I love these word pictures from the Bible. They really connect with us on a human level and on a basic level. We can all understand, you know, uh, a, a trapped animal trying to get freed. They have one objective in that moment. Nothing else matters, just that. And that's how diligent the author is telling us to be. But it, then the author moves on. And I just quickly want to talk about this. It says, go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler. Yet it stores its provision in summer and gathers its food at harvest. The Proverbs are amazing, using things that we all know and love. I have a five-year-old son named Emerson, and he loves Ants. I know you can attest to this, Mom. Mm -hmm. He has an ant book. We have to read it almost every day, and it's the longest, most boring book ever. <laughs> but he loves it. He loves ants. And, you know, to his absolute joy, we had ants trying to invade our house one time. And so he got to sweep them. We couldn't kill them. He had to sweep them up, and he saved them. And uh, we, we handled the problem. The ants are no longer in our house. But, uh, you know, the Bible connects with us in these moments. It's no surprise that the book of Proverbs, which is conveying wisdom, uses everyday things because we all understand everyday things. And then it, it connects that with a deeper reality that we can then apply to our lives. Quickly tell us about the Friday, the 16th. This Friday, June 16th, we're going live here in the studio at 3.30 Eastern time. It's going to go live on my YouTube channel, which you can find if you go on YouTube and you search my name, Corey Babechko. We'll all be there. We're going to be interacting in the live chat with you, answering Bible questions, answering questions about the world and Christianity. So I hope to see you there. All right. Look forward to that, Ryan. All right. Well, today, to go along with our reading in Proverbs, I thought that it would be helpful to study the life of the man who penned these words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. And that man is the son of David, King Solomon. And Solomon, when he became king, asked God for wisdom and God gave it to him. And we see some of that wisdom in the book of Proverbs. But unfortunately, Solomon didn't take his own advice much of the time because he was very foolish and he disobeyed God's explicit instructions not to multiply wives, among other things. And as a result, his heart turned away from the Lord his God. Check it out. King Solomon was the second son of David and Bathsheba, and the third king of Israel. His rise to the throne, however, was by no means without controversy. Indeed, Adonijah, the oldest son of David, presumed himself to be king. However, based on an earlier promise to Bathsheba, David, while on his deathbed, transferred the throne to Solomon instead. Although Solomon was quick to make some very significant political decisions, he was barely out of his teens when he became king and felt inadequate for the job. He says to God in 1 Kings 3.7, I am a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. It was after Solomon sacrificed a thousand burnt offerings to the Lord at Gibeon that God came to him in a dream by night and offered the young king anything he desired. Solomon, of course, requests a wise and understanding heart that he may judge God's people. 
This request pleases the Lord, and so he grants Solomon this and more. In fact, the Bible says in 1 Kings 4 that Solomon was wiser than all men and that he spoke 3,000 proverbs and composed 1,005 songs. Solomon's fame quickly spread to the surrounding nations and many, including the renowned Queen of Sheba, would come from great distances to consult with him and to benefit from his vast knowledge. Solomon's 40-year reign was so successful that it is considered to be Israel's golden age, a time of great peace and prosperity, even extending to the surrounding pagan nations. Indeed, Israel was never bigger or richer than it was during Solomon's day. He also did not have to fight any major battles. He controlled the land from Egypt's border in the south to the Euphrates River in what is now northern Syria, more than 200 miles beyond Damascus. His kingdom stretched eastward from the Mediterranean Sea to deep within what is now Jordan. One of the major highlights of Solomon's career was the building of the temple. Although only about the size of a small church, the king spared no expense as the exterior was made of limestone and the interior of cedar wood overlain with gold. Although Solomon started off well and became extremely wise, wealthy, and prosperous by serving the one true God, he was eventually led astray by his 700 wives and 300 concubines to serve foreign gods. Some believe that Ecclesiastes, often attributed to him, gives a glimpse into why he did this. In chapter 2, verses 1 and 3, the preacher says, I said to myself, come now, let's give pleasure a try. While still seeking wisdom, I clutched at foolishness. In the end, however, Solomon realized that it was all utterly meaningless. Sadly, the king died before his 60th birthday, apparently old before his time, perhaps a result of far too many women to contend with. So let's take King Solomon's life as an example. He multiplied wives against God's command, and sure enough, these foreign women turned his heart away from the one true God to serve false gods. So let's not allow our own hearts to be turned away as Solomon's was. And also interesting to note is that his father David was also polygamous. So this should be an example to all of us parents. It's critical that we set good and godly examples for our children, especially in a world that's walking totally contrary to God's ways. That's right. It really is. Janice? Setting examples in this world. You know, we can't lead unless we actually do what we say, you know, um, Get away from temptation. I liked your point, your first point today, Rod. It said, don't slink away. Like when temptation comes, don't slink away. I remember you doing a sermon uh, a number of years ago at our church in Orangeville, and you were talking about fleeing temptation, that Paul was talking about fleeing from temptation. And you literally, you said, this is what flee means. And you took off your mic and you just belted it. You just ran up one aisle and you went out the back and people were just like, they were looking. So it was a few seconds and then boom, you came in the other door and came back down. And it was a really good example of don't slink away. When temptation comes to face you, if you have decided to follow Jesus Christ, you need to run away from that temptation and turn to him because God always makes a way of escape. Did you hear me? God always makes a way of escape from that temptation. But if you just sort of hang around and say, well, you know, everybody else does it or, you know, so-and-so, 
No, we cannot live our lives that way if we have chosen to live for the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter five? It says, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. And this is Jesus talking. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. That goes the same for women looking at men. Don't just think this is for men, ladies. We have to be leaders too. It says in verse 5 of Proverbs chapter 5, the path of that life brings death. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lay hold of hell. This is choosing not to go away from temptation. That means, you know, not just with the physical person. Sometimes it's pictures, isn't it? Sometimes it's the movies that we choose to watch or pornography, things like that. We need to shut those things off. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Just because you see our culture doing it or other people doing it, it doesn't mean that we should. We need to flee temptation. Don't slink away, as Rod says. Run! Get away. Turn it off. Leave the room. Whatever it takes, God has made a way of escape from you. There's no excuse. There's no excuse for us. Um, Remember what Jesus also said in Matthew chapter 7. Listen to this. Because Jesus is the way. He's the way. We need to flee from temptation. Jesus says, enter by the narrow gate. For wise is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. Did you hear what that says? Then Jesus is that narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. Our temptations will not go away. We're still going to have them in life. But our decision on how to respond to those temptations is always our decision. God gives us that free will to make that decision. But if we have given our life to the Lord Jesus Christ, then we need to follow him. And that is turning our life towards God and his way, the narrow way, and to run, flee from that temptation. Turn away from it, turn it off, get away. God has made a way of escape for you. It's through the Lord Jesus Christ but you have to decide to follow him. Are you tired of me talking about this yet? I hope not because this is very exciting. I was watching it again just a few minutes ago. The Bible Discovery Channel, BD Family and Friends on the internet, BibleDiscoveryTV.com, on the Roku channel, and also on Firestick TV. Look for BD Family and Friends because that's a great station where you can see all the programs we put together here. I did a program 25 years ago called Just the Facts, and it's on there too. Really interesting, we were really young then. Anyway, uh, you can watch that as well. Now let's pray. Lord, help us to focus our attention on meaningful relationships. Not quick relationships, but meaningful relationships. 